Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. God's going to show up today. We're continuing our series, The Life of Christ, Week 5. Grab your Bibles. Anybody still bring hard copies of the Bible to church? Anybody? Hey, Bible covers. Nice. That's fun. Okay, grab your phone or whatever you're using today. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. If you're using an iPhone or version or whatever, you can flip over to the message translation. That'll primarily be where I'm reading from. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. We've got two giant Bibles in the sky for your viewing pleasure. You can look at those. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 and 28. We're going to dive in here. Look at the life of Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful Jesus. Check this out. Jesus and his disciples headed out for the villages around Caesarea Philippi. As they walked, Jesus asked them a question. Who do people say that I am? Verse 28. Some say John the Baptist. Some, some say Elijah. Still others say one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them probably one of the most important questions in all the Bible. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? Hey, would you take a second this morning? Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to our hearts this morning. God, we, we're so grateful for the movement and activity of Holy Spirit as he reveals Jesus to the innermost places of our being. Only you can do that. And so, God, I pray that you would come in power to answer this question today. God, that you would bear fruit today in the lives of people that they would leave a little bit more in love with Jesus than the way they came in. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Release the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus and let it touch our hearts in a significant way today. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Come on, slap your neighbor one more high five and say, let's go, let's do this. All right. Well, how many parents are in, in the house this morning? Raise your hands. Come on, all the bags under your eyes and stuff. I see you out there. Hats off, by the way, to all the moms and dads who got their families to church on daylight savings time on spring break weekend. You guys are heroes. Somebody needs to buy you a coffee or something. I'm sure, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure most of the parents can all agree somewhat on the best time of the day in here, and that would be a bedtime. Come on, can I get an amen? Bedtime. In our house, uh, bedtime is pretty close to the same time every night. 9 p.m. It's around 9 p.m. It's bedtime, 9 p.m. Now, let me just say this before we keep going. I love my kids, okay? I love them. I really do. But come about 8.45-ish, there are several nights when I could just about kill a child or two. Come on, parents. There's only so much you can take until you snap. Am I right? Elijah punched me in the throat. Jojo ran me over with a hoverboard. Zion got bounced off the trampoline. Oh, would you look at the time? 8.45. That would be bedtime. Brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, because it's my favorite time. It's bedtime. Now, before I had kids, you might be like me, I kind of had this, uh, this thing in my mind about what bedtime would probably look like when I, when I had kids in the future. For some reason, I thought, I was delusional, I thought that bedtime would be, some, I don't know, spiritual maybe, something like that, call me crazy. I thought my kids would lay down, you know, maybe fall asleep, whatever. 
this peaceful experience. I had this idea as I tell them Bible stories from the King James Version, right? Their little ears all perked up as I read from them from the Holy Scriptures. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? This is the reality versus Instagram meme at its finest. If I can get through two verses and Zion is still in bed fully clothed, I just call it a win. <laughs> Zion, you paying attention? Zion, you paying attention? Zion, you paying attention? Zion, you paying attention? More often than not, bedtime goes like this. Jesus loves you. Go to bed. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Good night. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Jonah got swallowed by a whale. And Moses parted the Red Sea. If I see you or hear you before morning, your life is over. Good night. Go to bed or I'll sell all your stuff. I love you. And what else? You know, what is it about kids at bedtime? It's like they become the most inquiring minds on planet Earth. Anybody else's kids? Like just question after question after question after question. Like Zion, hey, Dad, why do we have to wear clothes? That's like, hey, let's go to question. Well, because Eve ate the apple, son. We're all bitter about it. Get over it. It's life. Go to bed. <laughs> then Selah, you know, our one and only little girl. Hey, Daddy, can I marry you when I grow up? Oh, Absolutely. And then Elijah's our oldest son. He's like, hey, Dad, how do babies get in Mom's belly? And I'm like, hard pass. Not the right time or place. <laughs> question after question after question after question after question. It's, it's sort of like what life has a tendency to come at, at us with at times, right? Just lots and lots and lots of unanswered questions. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've got some unanswered questions of your own. Uh, maybe it goes like this. What, what are we going to do when blank? How's it going to work out if blank? Is it ever going to happen to me? That's where all the single people said, amen. Call me, right? Why'd they do that to me? Why did it go down like that? How are we going to get through this? Each person in here today is probably facing their own set of internal questions and Depending on what those questions are and the intensity of those questions that you're dealing with and wrestling with on the inside, that can take a toll on your soul. But, church, the good news is there is one question that if we get the answer to that question settled deeply in our souls, it has a way of answering and sorting out a multitude of other less important questions. And that question is, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? It's what the theologian A.W. Tozer was referencing when he made this statement. Check this out. This is powerful. He said this, the most important thing about a person is to think rightly about God. Wow. The most important thing about a person is to think rightly about God. Because what we believe about Jesus determines what we believe about everything else. It's why this series on the life of Christ is so important in our journey into 2021, the year of transformation. We have to begin with the right view of God or we will have a wrong view of everything else. There's no greater pleasure, church, in the human experience than when God touches our hearts with the revelation of God. 
Nothing can transform us. Nothing can change us more dramatically and more powerfully than God by the Holy Spirit touching our hearts with the knowledge of who he is. Who, who do you say that I am? Who's Jesus to you? So we seek to answer that question. Check this out. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is a pretty important passage when we look at this question. Who's Jesus to you? Check this out. Jesus is the what? The divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, and the firstborn heir of all creation. Think about that. Wow. So... Does anybody, anybody remember the telephone game? Anybody? A few people in here. For all the youngsters out there that have no idea what we're talking about, no, that's not a Fortnite dance, okay? Let me give you a 20-second crash course on the telephone game, okay? You've got a circle of people. The first person in the circle starts out and whispers a random sentence in the second person's ear. You all know the game, right? And then the second person answers, whispers the sentence they heard in the next person and so on and so forth. Each person repeating the sentence they heard in, in the circle to the next person until the last person in the circle uh, says out loud the sentence that was passed to him for everybody to hear, right? It's the telephone game. Now, without fail, what started off as I like long walks on the beach has quickly turned into my cousin is choking on a peach, right? <laughs> because the picture has a tendency to get distorted the further it gets away from the original source. If we want an accurate story, then we got to go back to the author and the originator. Jesus was the divine portrait and the true likeness of the invisible God. Wow. And that changes everything. We will never see God more clearly, church, than we do in the person of Jesus. Look no further than Jesus if you want to see God. We all, right, we all have this vague and limited meaning in our minds when it comes to the word God. Each of us does. It's shaped by all kinds of things, right? By uh, religious traditions, uh, family background, specific Bible verses, pop culture, just to name a few. And what tends to happen is without even realizing it, we bring our limited view of God into the gospel accounts and we unintentionally read the story of Jesus through a distorted lens. Okay? And it sets us on this long and sometimes confusing journey of trying to fit Jesus into our meaning of the word God. This can create all sorts of tension. And maybe some of you have felt it. How do I reconcile how do I reconcile what I've seen and experienced in the powerful, compelling, untamed person of Jesus with my sometimes skewed and maybe even painful view of God? The good news, church, is that you don't have to. You don't have to. The New Testament invites us to do something so much more beautiful and so much more radical, to take a long, hard look at the person of Jesus, to consider his compassion and his wisdom, and his suffering, and his resurrection, and allow Jesus to transform our view of God, not the other way around. If we think it's God, and we can't see it in Jesus, we got to question if it's God. Jesus is the divine portrait. He's the true likeness 
He's the exact image and the shining reflection of an invisible God. Who do you say that I am? I hope you're tracking with me this morning. Of the four gospel accounts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the, of the New Testament, each writer begins the gospel a, a little different way. If you've read the Bible, you can probably track with me. If not, that's okay. I'm going to explain it. For example, Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, he starts off his writing by tracking the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, who were the father and mother of the Jewish people. Okay? What does that mean? He's, what he's saying is he's trying to communicate that the story of Jesus is distinctly a Jewish story. Jesus was the king of the Jews. Luke, okay, second book in the New Testament, he starts off completely different than Matthew. He starts and he traces Jesus' genealogy all the way, even further back to Adam and Eve, okay? What's he saying, the first two, two human beings? He's saying that, I want you to understand that the story of Jesus, it's not just a Jewish story, it's a story for all of humanity. And we say amen to that. But John, John does something very, very stunning. Because he starts off his book and he says, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what John is saying is that Jesus' story isn't just a Jewish story, and it's not just a human story, but more than all of it, the story of Jesus is the story of God. Wow. It's the story of God. It's what makes the gospel such good news. It's more about God than it is about us. And what I'm afraid of, uh, that we're all probably guilty of in some measure, is making the focus of our walk with God more about us than it is about God. And therein lies one of the greatest tragedies in the American church that has kept us spiritually dull in many ways, and I'm talking about myself, we think way too much about ourselves and not enough about Jesus. Something amazing begins to happen when we get our eyes off of us and we put our eyes on Jesus. We start to become like Jesus. God, deliver us from the gospel of the American dream that's mostly about us. And encounter us with the gospel of the kingdom that's mostly about Jesus. I just want to know Jesus. So, if I can this morning, I don't have a bunch of fancy points and practical things to take home with you. I just, I just want to talk about Jesus. Because I think that's enough, church. For so long, we've been guilty of trying to drum up all of these practical points, which aren't bad, and all these sermons with all these little trinkets. And what we really need is we just need Jesus. Just, we just need to catch a glimpse of him. So I want to give you a couple jumping off points. Look at the life of Jesus and throw out a couple things. I'm really trusting that it's going to cause us to be, to, for Jesus to become more real to us. That we would go together on this journey into the new year until Jesus truly becomes. And this is the, my prayer today and moving forward that Jesus would become the beautiful obsession and the primary focus uh, of the heart of his beloved bride, the church. Who do you say that I am? If you're taking notes, number one, first kind of idea. Jesus has the name like every name. 
Okay, wow. Jesus has the name like every name. Check this out, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel shows up to Mary after he's promised her a son. She's pregnant, and this is what the angel says. You are to give him the name. Let's all say that together. What's his name? Yeshua. You're to give him the name Jesus. He's the one that'll save his people from their sins. Now, in ancient times, uh, the name a person was given was more than like based on what was trending on Pinterest, okay? So they didn't break out a baby book and narrow it down to their top three, okay? The name chosen for a child back in biblical times was way more meaningful and significant than that. It was more of like a prophetic declaration of who that person was going to become, who he was to be. It was an identity thing. And the angel declares to Mary, his name shall be called Jesus. It's interesting the story that the name Jesus tells us about the person of God. Uh, now, according to first century historians, the name Jesus, uh, it was not a name that would have been uh, stood out from the rest. It, it, was, it wasn't a name that would garner a lot of extra attention. The name Jesus wasn't spectacular, shining, or sexy. It was actually one of the most common names of that time. It was like the biblical equivalent to the modern day John Smith, okay? When Jesus' parents were on the streets with their peers and out with their relatives and they called Jesus' name, it's very likely that many other boys would have looked up because they had the same name. It's almost as if he were called every man. Not Superman, every man. And you're to give him the name Jesus. I'll say it like this. Jesus had a name like every name. And that is significant in what it means for you and I, because it means that Jesus gets it. He really does, because Jesus is not some sort of stained glass superhero. He's every man. Check this out in Hebrews chapter 4, as we explore this a little deeper. Verse 14. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest, with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. Why would they say let's not let it slip through our fingers? Because it's easy to let slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. Experienced it all but the sin. So, what's the conclusion? Let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. Jesus understands what it means to be human. He understands when we second guess. He understands our questionings. He understands when we wrestle with not knowing. He gets our doubt and our fear and our anxiety and our worry. He's not put off by our confusion and all the things that we're wrestling with. He's not out of touch with our reality, but he's with us in our humanity. Even when our reality feels out of touch with God, God is never out of touch with our reality. Jesus is approachable. He's approachable. Check this out, Luke chapter 2, verse 52. I know we're jumping around. As we look, Jesus becoming uh, a man, moving out of um, childhood and into adulthood. 
Luke 2, 52, and I might not put that up there, but Jesus became wiser and taller, gaining favor with God and with people. In reference to Jesus growing up, Jesus became wiser and taller. Think about how human that sounds, wiser and taller, gaining favor with God and people. I don't know about you, but that verse makes me ask myself, if Jesus and God are one, how did Jesus grow in wisdom? Like, he's Jesus, right? I mean, like, didn't he just know what to do? I mean, he's Jesus. I, I love the Greek word here when it describes Jesus becoming wiser and taller. It really helps us to see the humanity of Jesus. It's the Greek word that means to beat his way forward. In other words, Jesus grew in wisdom like the rest of us do, right? By making hard choices when it counts. Even when we don't feel like it, making the choice to do what's right, true, honest, and good, even when we're tempted to do something else. Moment by moment, choice after choice, day after day, and year after year, Jesus beat his way forward as he became wiser. His obedience was a battle just like ours. And I think what happens when we miss the fact that God personally understands what it means to be human when we miss the fact that Jesus intimately sympathizes with where we're at in our humanity because he's been in the same place, is we find ourselves running from God because of our humanity rather than to him in our humanity. We've all done it. Jesus invites us to come with our messy, broken, sinful lives because he knows that our obedience is a battle. He invites us to run to him with our weaknesses in confidence that he knows what it's like to be a human. He understands because he's been there. Well, at the same time, giving us hope because he didn't stay there. So let's walk right up to him, the writer of Hebrews says, and get what he's so ready to give. And you're to call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from his sins. Jesus has a name like every other name. Number two, last point. Is this okay, guys? Okay. Number two, a lot of teaching, a lot of scripture, but that's okay. It's Jesus. Number two, Jesus has a name. Oh, buckle your seatbelts. Jesus has a name above every name. Wow. Philippians 2, verse 7. Jesus emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. Pastor Donnie spoke so beautifully about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples a couple weeks ago. Check this out, the next three words. He became human. Verse 8, he humbled himself and became vulnerable. Wow, our God, though remaining all-powerful, is somehow vulnerable. Choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example. Even in his death on the cross, because of that obedience, check this out, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. Come on, church, let this touch your heart. He's been given the name above all names. Jesus has a name like every other name, so that we might walk right up to him in his approachableness. But he also has the name that's above every name, so that we might fall on our faces at his feet and worship him in his other than this. 
He's holy. There's no one like him. Check this out. Revelation chapter 10. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. I, John, was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice sounding like a trumpet. Saying to me, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Verse 12, this is what I want you to get with those next three words. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And walking among the lampstands, I saw someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a full-length robe with a golden sash over his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as glistening snow. And his eyes, they were like flames of fire. His feet were gleaming like bright metal as though they were glowing in a fire. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. His face was shining like the sun in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet like a dead man. But he laid his right hand on me. And I heard his reassuring voice saying, don't yield to fear. I'm the beginning and the end, the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to death. I came, I saw I conquered. In case you wonder what Jesus looks like March 2021, now you have your answer. His eyes are burning with fire. His hair is like wool and his face is shining like the strength of the sun. He's holy. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? How do we appropriately respond to that God as his people? What do we do with that? I think John gives us a pretty good starting point as we seek to answer that question. How do we respond? If that's God, how do we respond to that? When I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw. And when I saw, I fell down at his feet like I was dead. The knowledge of God, church, it's not neutral, it's functional. It's not static, it's dynamic. It's powerful, and it's calling us to turn aside so that we might be able to see. It's hands-on, is what I'm trying to say. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw. The question is, are we willing to turn aside? Or are we comfortable with business as usual? I feel like this is the word of the Lord. Are we preoccupied? And unavailable? Are we idle and uninterested? Are we distracted and disconnected? He's calling us into an encounter with transcendent beauty, but we can't get our eyes off of ourselves for a moment to turn aside. I'm sorry. I'm guilty. God's calling us. Are you willing, church, to turn aside? Aside, God responds 
to our responses to him. God is on the scene. And he is, without a doubt, awakening his church in this hour and giving out the grace to develop desire to go deeper. The problem is some people, we just don't have much desire. We're kind of spiritually bored. We love Jesus, we're going to heaven, but it just is what it is. And I'm telling you, in this end time age, God is releasing grace for hunger and desire to go deeper Deeper than that introductory level of the knowledge of God, of Jesus that we received at salvation. And into these intimate places like John, where Jesus absolutely encounters and fascinates us. And it rocks us to the core. Until we can't help but fall on our faces before him humbly with everything in our lives that doesn't look like God. And cry out with sincerity of heart, I surrender, I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what it, where it takes me. I just have to have him. I just have to have him. Break off the lethargy from our hearts. Deliver us from spiritual boredom and compromise. Open our eyes. We just, we just want to see Jesus. We just want to see Jesus. Break up the follow ground of your hearts. For it's time to seek the Lord and long for him until he come and rain righteousness on you. Without a doubt, without a doubt, church, this is what God is doing for his people in this hour. But we have to be willing to turn aside to see it. The knowledge of God is not static, it's dynamic. We have to be hands-on, we have to engage in it. We have to throw off idleness and lean in. We have to get our hands and our hearts right in the middle of God's storyline and his narrative in this hour. When I turned to see, I saw. It's what Isaiah prophesied would take place in the generation when the Lord returns, which I believe personally that it's, this is the generation the Lord's going to return. Isaiah 33, verse 17, this is what God's doing in this generation, that the Spirit of God would emphasize the beauty of Jesus in the generation of the return of the Lord. This is God's glorious end time story. That it's the divine storyline for the end of the age. That God would pour out his spirit upon his people under the knowledge of God until we become completely consumed by the power, beauty, wisdom, and might of Jesus until we become a mature bride, a victorious church, free from compromise and spiritual apathy, Radiant and shining in the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's the end time plan in the heart of God. And we got to focus on that. Or we're going to get lost in all the things going on. It's, this is ultimately where God is bringing his church. But we have to turn aside to see it. Will we turn aside to the voice that's speaking to us? Or will we just be okay with where we are? I'm just, I, you, for those of you that heard me speak, this is not my usual message. I'm throwing lots of punches today, mostly at myself. When I turned to see the voice speaking to me, I saw. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Jesus, he has a name like every other name so that we can walk right up to him in his mercy. Jesus also has the name above every name so that we might fall down before him and worship him. Because he is holy. He's holy. 
as Elliot comes to the piano this morning, I'm going to read one more, one more uh, chapter in, in the book of Revelation. And just these last few days, just wrestling with this message. And this is a little bit out of the norm type of deal for me. And just found myself a little emotional and overwhelmed. And even just checked in my heart with the Father saying, Son, I, you might be a little lukewarm. You might be a little bit too comfortable with where you are. Your heart might not be quite as engaged as it could be. And just feeling the love of the Father drawing me. You know, I, we live in an unusual time, church. This is the, the, the hour where we have to look up because the return of the Lord is near. It really is, and I know many people have been hearing that for years, and who knows how long it's going to be. A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day in the heart of the Lord. But we are, the signs are just accelerating, and we, there's an urgency in the air. And we have got, we have got to shake off idleness. Or we're in danger of, of missing the greatest move of God in the history of humanity. And I don't know about you, but I just want to be right in the middle of that. I just want to be right in the middle of that. Because in the pressures that are going to come as the end times continue, that is going to be the only safe place. It's going to be our safety, our stability, our direction. It's not going to be an addendum to the end of our week. It's going to be everything the days to come it really is check this out then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals number seven means complete this thing is completely sealed up and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals. And no one in heaven, the search party went out. In heaven and earth, under the earth, they couldn't find one person worthy to take the scroll. Sorry. And John said, I began to weep because nobody was found worthy to open the scroll. And one of the elders said to me, why are you crying. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. There's things in your life today that feel completely shut down, sealed up. There's no way in. And you're like, maybe like John, there was nothing I could do to, to open those scrolls. And the angel said, I don't want you to weep anymore. I found somebody who can break the seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, all authority, and with seven eyes, all wisdom, which are the seven spirits of God sent out, from in, uh, sent out into all the earth. And he went 
And he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. And they begin to sing a new song. <laughs> oh, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign with you forever on the earth oh man so glorious this is the God that we serve this is Jesus who do you say that I am? Are you willing to turn aside to see it? Stand with me this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.